Thank you for tuning in. The shir today is in the afternoon. It's a makeup shir from, uh, I was out of town on Monday, so I didn't give the Monday night class in its regular time. So this is for all those who will be listening on the CD and on the, and on the uh, podcast or on the uh, app. For those of you, I'd just like to remind everyone, uh, take a moment um, and download on your phone our Mayan app. Like this, you get all the classes right away. You don't have to wait for CDs. Uh, and the like. You just have it instantly on your phone. It's a free app, both for Android and for um, iPhones. You can go to your app store, put in Mayon, and download the app for free. It takes a minute, and then you'll have all the classes available all the time. This class and all of our other wonderful classes. Again, Mayon. Mayon is spelled M-A-A-Y-O-N. This class today uh, has been sponsored by Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak and Reisha Galov, and this is in honor of their new baby grandson, uh, Tuvia Zakai, who had his bris last week. And he's the son of Rabbi Avram and Levana Bina Greenstein. Um, may Hashem bless him to grow up. And he should be a chayal, a chassid, Yerushalayim, and lamdim, and give a lot of nachas to his parents and grandparents. And you should raise him in good health. Um, and only, only, only have a lot, a lot of nachas. Thank you so much for that dedication. Another dedication this week was... On the, C- on, the sh- on the CD, and this was by Senna Abregel, and this is in honor, of, uh, in, the, in loving memory of her mother, um, of a beloved mother who had passed away just last week. May, ha- may the family be comforted, and they shouldn't know of any more pain or suffering. And may the departure of her soul be very, very short, because she'd be returning soon with the coming of Mashiach, which is the subject of today's class. Um, which all Nishamas will come back down here, be reunited with their bodies and reunited with their families. And as it says, that being that Mashiach delayed, and it took so long for Mashiach to come, that we don't have to wait for the resurrection of the dead for it to be a long time after the coming of the Mashiach, like it is suggested in some Mamara Chazal and some statements of our sages, but rather the coming of Mashiach uh, the, the, w- will be followed immediately. The coming of Mashiach will be followed immediately by Tchias HaMesim. And so may she be reunited, you be reunited with your mother. Now, um, the, um, as you had mentioned, uh, your beloved mother and a grandmother and great-grandmother, that's a big schuss for someone to have a few generations. Um, may she be a Melitz Yosha for the family and uh, shouldn't know of any sorrow anymore. And for the short period of time that uh, we wait till Mashiach comes, may, her, may this shear be a big zuchus for her neshama, for to carry her to and be uh, to, to to bring her a lot of merit. 
Um, thank you so much. This week is Parshas Balak, and Shabbos is a special Shabbos. It is the 17th of Tammuz, which for most people would sound very negative, because the 17th of Tammuz is not such a good day on the Jewish calendar. It's a fast day, and it's a day that we're commemorating something very sad, the beginning of the exile, the beginning of the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, which the actually breaking in into the city, and uh, consequently three weeks later, the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, it opens up a period of time that's the saddest, darkest time in Jewish on the Jewish calendar, a three-week period of mourning, of sadness, and um, all kinds of negative things happened during this period of time. So generally, it is, it is a very not good time. Yet, but when it comes out on Shabbos, we know that we don't fast, so we push it off to Sunday. So is it something to look forward? Not exactly. However, um, as we're going to see, there is something extremely powerful and wonderful in the fact that it comes out on Shabbos, because that empowers us to do away with the fast completely. Just like we don't fast on Shabbos, and we roll over the fast onto Sunday, the ultimate intention is that from that rollover onto Sunday, we should have the ability to eliminate it completely. In other words, the negativity is weakened. A year like this, when the three weeks begin on Shabbos, and the interesting thing is they also conclude on Shabbos, because when Shabbos, when Shavasa Thomas, when the 17th of Thomas is on Shabbos, then Tisha B'Av also falls out on Shabbos. And when they are both rolled over to Sunday, they, it, we have the opportunity to dissolve the negativity and, uh, and, and it should become a holiday. Now we do have a prophecy that in Zechariah, where it says in Zechariah, Perekhes, Pasuk Yutes, it says, So said God of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, which is the month of Tammuz, that's this fast. And the fast of the fifth month, which is Tishabav. Or or the fast of the tenth month, which is the one of Asara Beteves, the tenth day of the month of Teves. Uh, commemorating the, the Nebuchadnezzar laying siege for three years on Yerushalayim. So what's going to happen when Mashiach will come, even though these are very negative, bad days, so to speak. But when Mashiach will come, yeah, la base Yehuda, they will be to the family of Yehuda, la sasain, to joy, ula simcha, and to happiness, ula mayadim, and to hot, la mayadim toivim, and to good yomim toivim, va emes va shalom ahevu, and truth, and peace, ahevu, you should love. That's a possible. So we see that in the end it is going to these hot, these days, not only won't they be days of mourning, but they'll be days of celebration, and of great joyous celebration. So when we have a year like this, when we do not have any of the negativity of the of the of the fast day, we only have the posit- in which we on Shabbos because we're now allowed to fast on Shabbos. So this enables us to eliminate the fast completely, to get a better understanding in this idea, the power of this particular setting that we have now. Uh, let us delve deeper into the meaning of the rollover fast when we roll over a fast from Shabbos onto Sunday. Um, simply it's a very technical thing the fast, the day that the sages have instituted or goes back earlier than the sages that it has been instituted by the prophets as a fast day is a given day on the calendar in which marks a dark event something dark, something related to exile um, something extremely negative that happened that's that day now, 
when we have a problem. Shabbos, we're not allowed to fast. Some say the prohibition against fasting on Shabbos, according to some opinions, is actually biblical. It's not only rabbinic. It's learned out, so it's, it implies from Shulchan Aruch HaRav, it's learned out from the Pasuk, Ichlu hayom ki Shabbos hayom. That Shabbos you have to eat. It says so by the man that Shabbos, Moshe tells the Jewish people, you have to eat today. So you see min Torah from the Torah that Shabbos, you must eat. Therefore, um, the rab, the, the, they couldn't come and, and apply a fast onto Shabbos, which Shabbos is a day of pleasure, a day of delight. So being that we can't fast it on Shabbos, so technically we push it over onto Sunday. So that's a very technical thing. Does that have anything to do with what we were saying earlier, that we're actually breaking down or eliminating and dismissing the fast? In a sense, we're not dismissing anything. We're just moving over the actual technical um, uh, absence of food onto the next day because we can't do it on Shabbos. And in a sense, it doesn't really show it at all on the weakening of the fast because in a sense, maybe it even shows on how powerful the fast is. That it has the ability, the fast, the negativity, if it, even if it can't land on the day, it will land on the following day. And you have to keep the fast with all of its laws. Now, there is, when a fast is pushed over onto Sunday, in regards to certain situations, there is a certain leniency. People that are not feeling that well, or a pregnant woman, or different, you have to ask, no one should pass in the shayla, no one should derive any halachic conclusions from what I'm saying over here. These things need to be discussed with your rabbi based on your circumstance, but there are certain leniencies on a fast that we move over onto the next day. But that's only for those who have that heter. But generally, for everyone else, it, the fast is just as powerful and just as strong, which indicates that the negativity behind the fast isn't any, hasn't been eliminated at all. That's why we have the fast. So why is it that we're saying over here that once the fast has been pushed off, um, it, is, it is a segula, and it has the ability to eliminate and remove the fast once and for all forever. Now, this is really based on a passage on the Gemara. The Gemara says in Mesechtis Megillah, in Tractic Megillah, the Talmud says, Tafhei Ahmed Beis, right in the top of Ahmed Beis, of the second page of Tafhei, of, of, of page five. Uh, so the Gemara says over there on, as follows, that uh, there is a, a Rebbe Lazar says, in the name of Rabbi Hanina, that Rebbe wanted to uproot Tishabav. Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Nasi, he's the one author of the Mishnah, that he intended to uproot Tishabav. So there is another sage over there, and his name is, one second, the, comes and he makes, and he declares, he says, what are you saying? That's not true. That's not the story. It's not like Rebbe wanted to uproot Tishabav. It seems to imply that Rebbe wanted to do away with Tishabav completely. So Rabbi Abba Barzavda says, Rebbe, he says to his teacher, Rebbe Lazar, this is not the story. It was Tishabav that year came out on the Shabbos. And it was um, rolled over, it was pushed away to after Shabbos. Because as we know the law, you can't fast on Shabbos. The Amar Rebbe and Rebbe said, "Hoyol ve'itcha itcha." Once it was "Hoyol ve'nitcha," since it was pushed away, Yidacha let it be pushed away completely. So Rebbe, in that particular circumstances, wanted to do away with Tishabov. The rabbis did not agree with him. Okay, so you see that idea. Once it's pushed away, we shouldn't have to. So Rebbe wasn't fond of fasting on on Sunday. He wanted to. Once it's not on, you don't do it on Tishabov itself. Goodbye. However, you see from the Gemara's initial thought, what's called the Havamin of the Gemara, from what the, the, the Talmud initially thinks, 
is that Rebbe wanted to do away with Tisha B'Av completely. And that was derived from what? From a story where it came out on Shabbos. And they pushed it off to Sunday. So you see from there, even though it's only a Hava, I mean, because even though it's the Gemara's only initial thought, and the Gemara rejects that, but the very idea that the Gemara can even think that, which you see Tosfos has a problem, how could even the Gemara even have thought that Rebbe wanted to do away for Tisha B'Av? But what we're really focusing on is over here is as follows. When Rebbe wanted to do away with Tisha B'Av, it was a Tisha B'Av that came out on Shabbos, where he, where he said, once it's pushed off, okay, so we won't observe it the next day. To push and to move it on Sunday. How can we have even mistakenly thought that Rebbe wanted to uproot Tisha B'Av completely? And the answer to that is, because when, you are, when uh, Tisha B'Av comes out on Shabbos, and you push, and we're, and we're pushing away Tisha B'Av, or even when we're rolling it off onto Sunday, there is a certain degree we're snipping, we're cutting, we're, 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 we're dismantling Tisha B'Av. We are doing away with Tisha B'Av because in the end of days we will do away with Tisha B'Av, at least with all the darkness of Tisha B'Av and all the darkness of all the other fasts. So when, and, and being that that year when Tisha B'Av came out on Shabbos, Rabbi wanted to eliminate Tisha B'Av completely. So you see that he wasn't too excited about Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av was something that irked him and bothered him. Meaning to say what I mean, of course. As long as we're in exile, we, should, we, we, need, to, we need to commemorate Tisha B'Av. Anybody that eats on Tisha B'Av, the Gemara says, well, anybody that doesn't mourn for the destruction of the Beis Amigdash will not see its rebuilding. But it's not something that you desire. It's something you don't want. You don't, want. You don't look forward to Tisha B'Av. Rabbi didn't want Tisha B'Av. And as much as he can get rid of it, Getting rid of Tisha B'Av meant he was hoping that he can bring about Mashiach in a year like that when it came out on Shabbos, so it should be pushed away completely. And that's why the Gemara had a thought that Rebbe completely wanted to do a Tisha B'Av, because that's really true, not in practical halacha, but in conceptual idea. means once it was pushed away, it should be pushed away, means that we should eliminate Tisha B'Av completely. And that was derived from a from a Shabbos digger Tisha B'av, when Tisha B'av comes out on a Shabbos. So there's something very powerful. So to get a little bit of a deeper understanding on what does it mean when a fast day comes out on Shabbos, and what is the power that we have. So the, the question over here in general is, um, the, the, uh, how do we look at a fast day? What is, what is a fast day? So on the, on the on there's external layer, a fast day is a day of affliction. We inflict ourselves. Now what's the purpose of that infliction? So, I mean, we can explain it simply. We understand that it is our physical side that causes us to be distracted from our service of God. Um, Because we are in a body and we function in the physical world and our body um, gets attached very much to physical pleasures, physical delights, and then as a result of that, to physical pursuits and even physical obsessions. And what this do, does is it first distracts us and it pulls us away and it coarsens a person. It takes us away to being sensitive to our purpose and our mission. And that's what we know that from, um, from overdosage of physical pursuits and material pleasures, it coarsens the heart and it leads a person to sin. So when we're doing, which sin is what led to all these destruction of the temple and exile, consequential exile, it's all a result of uh, all a result of sin. And sin comes from, as the, it says in, in Hazinu, Vayishman Yeshurin Vayivot. When Yeshurin, when the Jewish people became fat, because they had all the physical indulgences and, and delights, Vayivot, they rebelled against God. 
So therefore, that's the reason we fast, in which in our fasting we're minimizing our physical pleasure so that we can realign ourselves or reorient ourselves to who we really are, rediscover. It's like a self-discovery. We can get back. It helps us, in simple words, to do tshuva, to reconnect to our inner self because we're not paying attention to our outer selves. We're breaking the body, allowing for the soul to shine forth. That is the simple meaning of a fast. So it's basically, it's more about punishment of the body and physical affliction. However, there's another element, and that's true, but there's another element to a fast. In Yeshaya, in, in, in Isaiah, in Perek Nunches, there is a reference to a fast as being Yom Ratzon Lashem. Um, it says like this, in Perek Nunches, Pasuk Hey, there the Navi is rebuking the Jewish people uh, and saying that God is not interested in their fake fasts. When you are fasting and it's only superficial, when you are fasting and you're not really taking to heart and you're not changing your ways and you're not having a true contrition and regret about one's negative uh, ways. So the Pasuk says, Is this a fast that I am choosing? A day that a person just inflicts himself? And if you bow your head down, meaning the external movements, the external superficial, super, superficial expressions of bowing your head, head down like a, like a tree that gets bent down. It's the sapling tree, you bend the top down. So when you bend your head down, the sak ve'efer and wrapping yourself in sack clothing. Are you going to call this a fast? Hear these words. V'yom ratzon l'ashem, and a day of, of favor, and a day of goodwill. You see from here, and this is the idea that the Tanya derives in his famous monumental work, Ageris HaTshuva, that the real essence of the fast is a Yom Ratzon. It's a day of goodwill. It's a day of favor. In other words, it's an auspicious day. It's a very powerful day. It's a day when we can elicit God's grace and God's love. Yom Ratzon, Hashem's inner desire is accessible on that day. God wants us to be close to Him on that. Just like Yom Kippur, for instance, the father of all fasts, the mother of all fasts. Yom Kippur is a day of what? Where God is seeking the relationship and God makes himself accessible to us in the deepest, deepest way. Lift the Hashem before God to Torah, you're going to be purified. That's, that's Yom Kippur. And that is really the essence of every fast. It's a day when we can come face to face back to Hashem. Hashem is reachable, so to speak, available for us. And when we make an effort to reach Him, we reconnect and we experience, we come back into God's ratzon, into God's grace. That's the internal element of the fast. So the external element of the fast is the afflictions and the physical torment, the tormenting, the tormenting of the body, the discomfort, at least, of the body. The internal element of the fast is the deep, innermost connection in which we connect to God and we find and we, and we intensify our bond with Hashem. It's a yom ratzon Hashem. It's a will, a day of will. Now, um, the external element of the fast is negative because it has all the hardships and all the uh, the breaking of something is a negative thing. True, we're, we're, it's a good project because we're diminishing the body so that the soul can shine forth, but there's still an element of negativity. There's an element of pain and there's an element of hurt. There's an element of crushing. Uh, but that's the external. Internal, it's a day of deep love, a, deep, a day of reflection, a day, a day of depth. 
uh, a day of reconciliation and a day of uh, day of tshuva, a day of returning and deepening our bond with Hashem. Now, um, the the when when um, when a fast day comes out on the weekday, um, we sense and feel and connect to the fast. And what is obvious in the fast is more the superficial external element of the fast, and that is the the physical infliction. That is what is dominate, dominating the fast day. What dominates our experience is the fast, and I'm hungry, I can't eat, and I have to like uh, discipline my body. That's what we're feeling, and that's what we're sensing. Yes, what is that really meant to do? It's meant to bring you into a deeper reflection and a deeper contemplation and, 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 and make you uh, elevate your consciousness and your awareness so that you're seeking a connection to Hashem. That's what it's meant to do, and hopefully it, it has that desirable effect to a certain degree. But we can only get to the panemius unless we work our way through the chitzanius. In other words, we can only get to the internal and we work our way through the external. We need to, the way to access the unique godly potential of the day, which is the deep connection to God, is through the external um, um, afflictions, and through the negative, we reach the positive. That's the way on a regular fast day when it comes out during the week. When a fast day comes out on Shabbos, so when we say that the fast day rolls over to Sunday, that doesn't mean that Shabbos ceased to be the fast day. Shabbos remains the day of the fast is Shabbos. It's just that the observance of the afflictions of it, we move to Sunday. But the actual is, um, um, day of the tainus of the fast is Shabbos. Meaning to say that that inner depth of the day, that this is a day in which God is accessible and closer to us, that is not pushed away. Shabbos doesn't, because quite on the contrary, Shabbos is only conducive to enhance that. Shabbos is only conducive because Shabbos itself is a day of spiritual expansion in which our holy consciousness and our soul consciousness dominates over the physical. So when you have Shabbos, there's no reason to uproot the essence, the, the, the internal element of the fast is not diminished or even minimized in any way on Shabbos. Quite on the contrary, the two elements come together to intensify each other. The fact that it's a fast day enhances the holiness and the and the and the and the and the, and the uh, closeness to God of Shabbos, and the Shabbos enhances the 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 uh, ratzon, the goodwill of the fast. In both of them, they're all um, nurturing each other because Shabbos is also a day of goodwill, as it says, Chemdas Yamim Karasa. It is a day, a desirable day. Chemda is the same idea of ratzon. Just like fast is a yom ratzon Hashem, Shabbos is also a day of an extra goodwill. God's goodwill is present on Shabbos. Now, to take that even a step deeper, the very nature of Shabbos is that Shabbos is a day when the panemius of everything is revealed. During the weekday, we are stuck in a far more chitzonius, a far more external form of existence. We live on the surface during the week. We don't penetrate. We don't sense the inner purpose of things. We see things just in their external uh, outer layer, their physical crust is what. That's why during the week 
We occupy ourselves with physicality. We live in the world of nature. We don't penetrate the veil of nature to see the godliness within. And that's not just because that's, you know, because of our limitations. It's because that's the way God wants us to live. Hashem wants us to live in the darkness, in the veil and in the concealment. And over there, obey His will and do mitzvahs so that we can purify even these darker elements, even these klipa, even these outer shells. We can pure, but we are, our consciousness is meant to be so, to assert everybody, of course, different depending on how hard we work. But we are all, um, to a certain degree, caught up in the external layer of existence and not penetrating its soul, its 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 inner godliness. Shabbos, however, is a day which, as we spoke so many times, it's a day of aliyah sa'olamos, the worlds rise up. All of existence rises. Shabbos, we have a far more spiritual capacity. And therefore, Shabbos, we have the ability to experience God in everything far more than the week. And even, it's an interesting idea, even our material, physical body is far more sensitive to God. That's why Shabbos, the the eating itself is a mitzvah. What does a mitzvah mean? A mitzvah means an attachment to God. Now, we had mentioned earlier that a person's indulgence in food causes a coarsening of one's spirituality. One enhances and strengthens their body and weakens their soul. That happens during the week. That's why during the week we are told that as much as we're able to, we're not supposed to try to experience pleasure in our food. As much as we can, we should dismiss the pleasure because when we allow ourselves to get into the physical pleasure and the light, that will only cause the thickening of one's ego and the blockages and the intensifications of one's blockages of one's connection to God. We had a fascinating discussion about this this last week, Thursday night, and our last Thursday night class, if anyone wants to listen to it, uh, it's on our podcast. You can listen to last week's all about the effects of food in coarsening and, 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 and distancing a person from Hashem. So during the, but that's during the week. And on Shabbos, what happens? That very um, thing that coarsens you on Shabbos, um, during the week on Shabbos, it's a mitzvah. And a mitzvah means it connects you to God. It forges, forges a bond. So what does that mean? Because the world at large, the body and everything around us and the food that we eat, the physical material existence of this world is, is more elegant on Shabbos. It is refined. It is pure. It is in an elevated state. And, and Hashem shines through, through the physical on Shabbos. It's a brighter world. In the words of the Kabbalists, on Shabbos is a time of Aliyah Sa'olamos, where we ascend from Hashem's speech to Hashem's thoughts. Um, during the weekday, the, meaning to say that the difference is not only, that what really causes the difference. Why is, Shab, why is during the weekday the physic, physical world so coarse? And on Shabbos, the world is refined and, and, and uh, uh, transparent. You can see Hashem, feel Hashem in the creation. It's because the source of life that flows into the cosmos on Shabbos is much higher than the source of life that's animating and creating the world during the week. During the weekday, God is sustaining the world through His speech. And on Shabbos, Hashem is sustaining the world through His thought. And what's the difference between thought and speech? When a person speaks something, the words that they are speaking leaves the speaker and becomes independent from their speaker. To the point that you can hear the voice and you don't know who the speaker was. Or you can have a recording of someone today. You can pick up those sounds and then and you can even 
to the point where you, one can even, you know, we had the whole uh, <laughs> uh, controversy about the, about, about the plagiarism this week in the news about stealing someone else's speech. So here the thing is, we can take the words and disconnect it from the speaker completely. Um, the same is, so when God speaks the world, it creates distance between God and the world that is created. So even though it's Baruch Sha'amar Vahoya Oilam, God spoke and the world came into existence, there is some kind of a separation between the Sha'amar, between the speaker and the world that is created, where you can have such concealment where one can even question the very existence of God because the creation blocks nature, makes a concealment. However, when it comes on Shabbos, when Hashem is thinking the world, thought doesn't leave the the space or the zone or the or the uh, realm of the thinker. Your thoughts are one with the thinker. They're not perceived outside of the space of the thinker. They're with they're one and unified with the one that's emanating these thoughts. What does that mean? So even though we, of course, don't see with our physical eyes the difference, but the world is far more in, in clo- The worlds are submerged in God's light on Shabbos in a much stronger way than during the weekday. Now what's the difference between speech and thought? It's the idea of chitzonius and pnimius. Because when a person speaks, that's their external. They're showing to the outside. Your thought is your pnimius, your internal where you're really at. And when a person, for instance, is being deceptive, so they're saying one thing, but their thoughts are different. And we know it's very important. There's an idea we say, that one should be very honest, and what you're thinking, that's what you should convey. But we see that there could be a discrepancy. There could be a, where you're saying one thing, but your intentions are something else, which means a disconnect between the chitzainius and the panemius, between the external and the panemius, which is the internal. And that is the difference, and that's the quality of Shabbos. When Shabbos comes, the external moves away, and we can access and experience things from a much more panemiastic place. Since Shabbos, on the day of Shabbos, the panemius is revealed, so then what does Shabbos do to a fast? Not only is when, we, when Shabbos comes out on a fast, that we don't have the negative element of it that we have to fast on Shabbos but we access the Ratzon the will of God the great um, delight that Hashem is seeking this relationship with us the intense um, um, godliness of the day of a regular fast day we access it in Shabbos without any work of having to break the body because the Pneumius comes pouring out on its own because that's the nature of Shabbos the nature of Shabbos itself is that the chitzonius, the external, falls away and the panemius comes to the surface. So that's why we say also on, in Kiddush Friday night, we say, Vayachal Elohim Simply it means that God ended on, God ended his work, completed, or not ended, but completed his work on the seventh day. There is a deeper meaning which we've shared in other classes before. That we know that God relates, God's energy is transmitted into the universe and into the creation through two names of Hashem. There is the Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, and then there is the name of Elohim. And what's the name of Elohim? The name of Elohim is meant to serve as a filter and as a screen to block and to conceal and to filter God's light for two purposes. One is to make Hashem's powerful, infinite light, um, to contract it and make it 
um, adjusted to the finite creation. That's one thing. But another thing it's meant to conceal. It's meant to create the world as the world is today in which we can see the creation but not notice the the creator. God remains anonymous in this world as a result of the name of Elohim. So the name of Elohim, and that's what we said many times, Elohim is Gematria 86, which is the same word as Hateva. Elohim is what creates the, the Elohim is what creates the illusion of a natural world of Hateva that the world seems to be so natural. What happens on Shabbos? Vayachal Elohim. The elements of Elohim, Vayachal also means they end. Elohim comes to an end, and therefore what is obvious and what is seen, the bright light of Hashem is seen in the world. So as the, which is the Pneumius. And that's the whole idea of how powerful a fast day is on Shabbos. Now, we'll also understand why when you push away a fast on Shabbos, why that is really, it's not some technical thing you can't fast and you push it away. But why this is related to the ultimate elimination of all the fasts, that, they will, that, that the fast will turn into a holiday. Because what really is that idea? That we say that when Mashiach will come, there won't be any more sadness to the fast, and the fast will become a yomtif. So it's one thing to say that the fast will be nullified. You see, if we are um, uh, commemorating and mourning a loss, so we all understand that after the loss is replaced, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm upset and I'm crying because I lost, you know, $1,000, and then the very next day someone comes back and gives me, had found the $1,000, I'm not going to sit and cry anymore over the $1,000 that I lost once it was replaced. And the same is with everything. So we know we're not going to mourn anymore after Mashiach comes, and all our loved ones that have departed this world are going to come back. God will remove the dima, the, the tears from every face, because um, there's no reason to cry anymore. Why, why, why cry? If, 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 why are we crying? Because we're missing. We, we feel the pain of the loss. But now when they're back with us, there's no, there's no, there's no reason to cry anymore. So, um, the, so we understand that after Mashiach come, no more Tisha B'Av, no more the seventh day of Tammuz, no more any, we don't have any need for these negative, for these, uh, for these more days of mourning. But then the question is, okay, why however does it say in the Pasuk that the days will be turned over to a day of joy? Why would it become a day of Simcha? It's one thing that it's no more a bad day, but why a day of joy? And the answer to that is, is given. Um, and that is that the, the fast day that we're commemorating is, as we said before, there is an external part to it and there is internal element. The external part is the afflictions. The internal part is the, 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 the ace ratzel. It's a time of will, of goodwill. But let's understand that. What do you mean? If God beat us up on Tisha B'Av, that's what he literally did. He beat the Jewish people up. He exiled, he banished us from his land. And there was an anger. There was our wrath. As the Pasuk says, Shafach God spilled his anger. I don't know if the Pasuk, but there's a phrase, Shafach Hashem poured out his wrath. Good, he spared the Jewish people to be, as it says, that by doing that, he spared us of pouring out his wrath, but there was anger. So it's a negative day. 
And we know that the day of Tisha B'Av, for instance, begins as a result of sins that the Jewish people did. And the same as also Shavasa B'Tamas, the day that we made the eagle, the day that we made the, or at least that it was, that we said we were, we were celebrating the eagle, the, the calf, uh, the, the, we made Avodah Zarah. And Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he broke the Luchos, a whole bunch of negativity. So why would the day itself become something to celebrate? What's it to celebrate? And the answer to that is let's, we have to get deeper into our relationship with God. And we use the example of a relationship between a parent and a child. So the underlying bond between a parent and a child is love. Right? A parent loves their child. Even, but there are times that a parent has to discipline their child. But when, the chi- when a parent disciplines their child, and sometimes they have to discipline their child harshly and severely... Um, what what the child what, what is being what is being um, shown what is being displayed and what, what the observer sees is anger what the observer sees is harshness sees sees gavura sees a, 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 a something very harsh and something very mean coming from the parent sometimes you see a parent really really um, um, yelling or 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 uh, being harsh with their child or slapping their child you say wow. I mean, this is a really, really bad parent, bad parent but, it's, but it's not the case. Let's think about it. The, the real underlying reason for that, for that outrage is because of the deep love and the deep care that they have for their child. Watch a mother, God forbid, when a little toddler, a little two-year-old, drops their hand and runs off into the street and nearly escaped a terrible accident. The car swerved and missed the child. Imagine, God forbid, watching something like that. And the parent goes running into the street, grabs the child, and no one is going to be shocked if the parent slaps that two-year-old out of, okay, you would say, is this the best move in modern psychology? I don't know. Probably yes. The child should know that going across, running into the street is an absolute no-no. But whatever it is, yes, no, maybe there's another way of disciplining Whatever you'd like to think is the, the ultimate reaction and that intense, stinging slap that the parent slapped the child with the anger. You're seeing anger, but why angry? The other person, there were many people on the block and others didn't react that way. Even though everybody was shocked and appalled and, and shooken up by a child nearly being hit. But the fiercest a reaction, and the most intense reaction came from the mother of the child or the father of the child. Why? Because this is their child. Because they love their child so much. And they almost lost, they came close to losing their child. That brought about such an intense reaction. But what's, what's the core of the relationship? Deep care and deep love. But precisely because that, the very thought that I could have lost you, hurts me and rages me so much that it brings this powerful reaction of intense gevura. But really, what is the underlying of the gevura? It's really chesed. And the chesed, which is love. And the truth is, it says an amazing thing. Where does, what's, where is there a deeper expression of love? When a parent takes their child to the ice cream store and they're showing love, they're pouring love on their child by buying them an ice cream. Or when the parent rushes into the street and grabs their child and beats their child for running into the street, where is there a deeper love? So it says an interesting idea. Every time 
you're being mashpia. Every time you are conveying, every time you are channeling or expressing something, every expression is only the chitzonius. It's only the external of the feeling. You can't communicate to your child the depth of your love to, your, to, to, to them. You can't. Because every expression, everything you will do, you will buy them that ice cream. You will buy them the bicycle. You will take them on a trip. You will, whatever it is that you do for your children, which you're showing love for them, Every expression of love is only the chitzenius of something. The external element of it, not its panemius. To be able to give over the panemius, it, it can't. Panemius is not transmittable. The only way the panemius of the chesed is revealed is when it comes in something the opposite of the chesed. When the chesed expresses itself in an act of gevura, that's where the real intensity of the love, sorry, the real intensity of the love comes out, dafka, in an act, precisely in an act that is contradictory to the love. In an act of a, of, of a, of a patch, in a slap. Because, let's think about it, at that moment, the parent lost, I mean, the parent wants the child to cry. What happens to the two-year-old? The moment the parent slaps them, they start crying and crying. Does a parent want, the parent cringes when a child is crying. Today I had, I remember Hashem made this protest that I had to do one of these, my, my, my child, my, my son, my, my baby, needed to, go to the, uh, needed to go to the dentist, needed to get two teeth pulled. So my wife said to me, uh, today, listen, all the other doctors and everything else I do, but the dentist, to get the, child, the, the teeth pulled, you will go with him, I can't go. So I, you know, I went and, I, and I'm a very soft by nature. I'm very, very soft, but this got to be done. In order for his other teeth to come in uh, straight and, and not have any later problems, he needed to get his teeth pulled. So I'm sitting over there, and uh, whoever knows my Zalmi, he's, uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, such, he's a very, 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 very special child. And, uh, but to watch him and uh, go through this, I mean, uh, so I had to sit there and, 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 uh, and hear him cry and scream and all that, even though they, you know, they did whatever they need to calm him down and to, that it should be painless. But whatever it is, just the fear of them pulling his teeth was enough to send them crying. So the, the fact that I, that I did not get up and save him as he's like kind of crying like, ta, come save me. He didn't say that, but that was really what he's... Uh, uh, the cries were, how can you sit back there and watch me suffer and you're just sitting there on the side of the room? The, this that I did not take these two people that were standing over him and plucking his teeth and, and making him bleed, which generally, you know, as a reactionary father, you want to, re, you want to protect your child from all the harm and all the sorrow, required a much deeper intense love to come forth in my heart for my child because I was putting him through a painful experience. I had to overcome my natural feeling towards my child, which would be to protect him from any pain and sorrow, to allow him to suffer, because this is the greater good. So it called, and at that moment, I'm experiencing the deepest love for my child that I'm usually not experiencing in my heart. It's usually a far more superficial external love, the depth of the love is dafka in the in what's called chesed shebegvura in the love that's in the gevura or gevura shebechesed, whatever you want to call it. But it's we're in the opposite. That's where the deepest love comes out. So the same is with God and the Jewish people. When Hashem punished the Jewish people and sent us into exile on Tisha B'av and on the seventeenth day of Tammuz and all these things internally in the depth of it, there's powerful powerful love for the Jewish people. When God saw us doing stuff, 
that are spiritually harming us, serving idols, doing whatever else that we were doing, not getting along with each other, fighting and bricketing and have baseless hatred, and all these things that were destroying us spiritually, God had to activate something extremely intense. He had to unleash all the brutality of the Roman legions and of the Babylonian uh, uh, brutal uh, brutes and what they did to his children and all the suffering. But all of that was meant so that we can become a mensch, we can grow up, and we can ultimately be ready for to be who we are, and that is his chosen people. And ultimately receive the third base on Mikdash and all the blessings. But meanwhile, it required from Hashem to, to hold himself back, to restrain all of his love and to show an angry face, even though internally God is weeping and crying that he has to do that. So what's really the panemius of Tisha B'Av and the panemius of all these fasts? It's deep, deep, powerful, powerful love. Now when Mashiach will come, what happens with a parent? after they've done the discipline, after they poured out their wrath, and that's over. So what, what are they feeling now? The parent cries. Why are they crying? It hurts them that they hurt their child. So what are they feeling now? After the din, after the judgment, after the cost, after the rage, what's left over? A parent that slapped their child in a moment of rage, and when they needed to do it, let's say it was justified, but still the parent can't sleep at night that they caused their child such pain. They cry on what they did. It hurts them so much for wanting to pain their child. So what are they left after the anger is gone? What's left over is only the deeper love of how much they love their child. So when after Mashiach comes, and then God, after God reconciles with the Jewish people, we, what we will see in Tisha B'Av is the depth of how much, how deeply we connected we are, how much Hashem loves us, and how much how deeply connected we are. And that's why these days themselves are going to be turning into days of joy and days of happiness. Now, let's take a deeper look and see. So, so when it comes out on Shabbos, just for one moment. So when it comes out on Shabbos, which Shabbos is a day in which there is no negativity. Shabbos is a day when you go past the externalities and you delve into the innermost of what it's really all about. So when Shabbos comes out on Tisha B'Av, when Shabbos comes out on Shabbos B'Tamas, what you experience is only the light, the, 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 the love of the day, not the external elements of darkness to it. Now let's take a look at individually at Shabbos B'Tamas and see how that applies, not just to the general idea of a fast, particularly to the day of Shabbos B'Tamas. You see, on the day of Shabbos B'Tamas, what really, what, what's, what was the first event that happened on Shavasa Batamas? The sages say five negative things happened on Shavasa Batamas. The first thing that was really what brought about all the others was that we made a golden calf. And the, the, um, the luchos were broken. As a consequence of that, the luchos were broken. The tablets were broken. That was the worst thing that could have ever happened. God had given us luchos, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, which forged, which expressed the basis of his relationship with us. They were our marriage contract, and that had to be broken. Terrible, 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 terrible. However, we know that the broking of the luchos was what led later to a second pair of tablets. And we know that the sages tell us that the second pair of tablets were really 
after everything is said and done, are greater than the first tablets. Because Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't mourn and don't be upset on this that you, that you broke the tablets because the new tablets that I'm giving you now is going to be far, far greater than the first tablets that you have broken. And why? Because the first tablets only were contained, the first Torah that I was giving you only contained the five books of Moshe. But the new tablets that I'm giving you, that I'm going to give you after, uh, uh, the second tablets, they brought you all of the, uh, all the 24 books, all the prophets, and they brought you Medrash and Agadah, and meaning the entire Torah Shabal Peh, the entire oral law, is related to the second tablets. It's Keflayim Letoshia. I'm giving you a double and redouble Torah. And let's understand deeper why that is. Because the first tablets was tablets, it was a divine transmission. It was God transmitting to us his Torah, his will, his wisdom, his light he was shining down on. But it didn't involve our participation. The second tablets, what was different physically in the second tablets over the first tablets? The first tablets were utterly divine. They came from God, completely from above. The second tablets were tablets that we, that was a partnership between us and Hashem. Because Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, Psalacha, you bring up. Psalacha, you carve out, you bring two tablets, you bring, and I'm gonna, Hashem inscribed, Hashem wrote, Hashem carved out the Ten Commandments into the tablets, but it was on stones that Moshe had to bring up from earth. Now we know everything in the physical is reflecting the spiritual dynamics of it. The reason why physically the second tablets came from, they were not the work of God, which seemingly seems to be a, a, uh, a uh, diminishment. They seem to be a negative thing. They're not as holy. The first tablets were greater. They come from Hashem. The second tablets are not. But really when you think into it in a little deeper, you realize, no, the second tablets are much greater than the first precisely because we are participants. Because what happened in the difference between the first tablets and the second tablets, the first tablets we were not at all. The first luchos, we were not partners in that Torah. That Torah came completely from God. God took, we were in Egypt. We were in a very fallen state. God came down and we were in the 49 gates of impurity. Hashem came down and He plucked us from the darkness. He showered us with love. And He said, and I am now going to give you my, my teachings. I'm going to share with you. I'm going, to enl- I'm going to enlighten you. All of that was coming from above. As a result of the terrible mess that we made. We broke away from God. We served an idol. And we became disconnected. But as a result of that, we had to deal with our own mess. We had to deal with our own weakness. We had to do a lot of soul searching. We had to really, really ask ourselves deep, deep in our heart to who is our allegiance? Is our, is our heart complete, completely devoted to Hashem? And through much soul searching and through much crying and much truva, we dug out, we delved into the deepest depth of our soul and discovered that what we really, really want is only Hashem. And we regretted utterly this, that we were seeking out something else. And we, we found it within our hearts that all we want is Hashem. And we cried out for Hashem to bring us back close to Him. So now the union was being forged not only from God from above, but it was being forged from us below. That's why that's translated in the Luchos being brought up by Moshe, Moshe that it was a partnership. We brought the stone and God carved it in, into us, in, into the stone, which means, in other words, that it really came, there was our will and our desire 
There was our, our connection to Hashem coming from, it was much truer to who we are. And then in our will and our desire to cleave to God, Hashem, Hashem engraved His love into our love, His wisdom and His will into our open hearts that we brought up from below. And that's why the Torah as well reflected that. Before that, Torah would have only been a, dry, a divine transmission. That's the five books of Moshe. But instead, now we got Halacha, Haggadah, Medrash, meaning we got all of our participation. We got Torah Shabbat Peh, we got the Torah from the Jewish people, not just the Torah from God. And we create this magnificent harmony between man and God, which is a much higher Torah than had it been just a transmission from above. So you see from here, that the breaking of the luchos, that whole Shavasa Thomas, externally, it was the worst day in Jewish history. Internally, it led to the greatest thing, but even deeper than that. Ultimately, as a result of the breaking of the luchos, it led to the possibility of the Jewish people having Yetzirah again, which led to the further sin of the Maraglim of the spies, which brought us Tisha B'av, which ultimately resulted in the exile which is so much suffering and pain, which leads to such a breakdown, which is horrible and terrible. But we also know that all of that leads to the coming of Mashiach. And when Mashiach will come, the union that the Jewish people are going to have with God and the intimacy and the closeness and the relationship is going to be so much deeper and higher had we never gone to exile. Because that, it's precisely because we went to exile and we have to work our way through, through challenge after challenge, darkness after darkness, and, 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 and problem after problem. And through all this darkness, we fight and fight and fight to remain connected to Hashem and to maintain our, 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 our morality and our decency and our holiness and our spirituality and our connection to Hashem, ultimately we discover so much of a deeper bond. We know it says that the giving of the Torah and the, the time when Har Sinai, which was the greatest revelation, it says it was only a me'ain, it was only a little tiny bit of the brightness of the days of Mashiach. Which means that what, what externally looks like a regression or a digression from, from, our, from our, our connection to Hashem, which was as a result of Shavasa Batamas and the breaking of the Luchas, in truth, it's, 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 a, it's an advance. It's going deeper and increasing our bond with Hashem. So it depends how you look at it. The Chitzainiyas or the Panimiyas. So when you have Shavasa Thomas coming out during the week, what you emphasize, what you see is the breakage. What you sense is the darkness. That's why you have to fast. When Shavasa Thomas comes out on Shabbos, you see the internal element of it. Now let's go a little deeper into that. The sages tell us that Shavasa, that the, 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 if you look into Chazal, you see, not Chazal, when you look into the Pasuk, you see that the, the fast day is, is, is referred to in the Pasuk, I mentioned the Pasuk earlier, as Tzom Harivi'i, the, the fast of the fourth month. It doesn't say Shavasa Betamuz, the 70th day of Tamuz, the fast of the fourth month. Which, if the, if the fast is characterized in the Pasuk as the fourth month, that itself is indicative of the nature of what it's all about. The number four. Why does Shavasa Betamuz come out on the fourth, fourth month? Because there's something about number four, which is really the idea 
that the core, the crux of all of this is related to it being number four. What does that mean? We know that in numbers, we mentioned this at other classes, um, the first, the uh, number, the number uh, three is related, or one, two, and three is related to the world of the mashpia, the influencer. The number four is related to the recipient. It's related to us. And we see that in many things, that three is the number related to the mashpia, to the giver, and the dalid is related to the makabal, to the recipient. For instance, give a simple example. The sages say that that's the meaning of the word gimel dalid. Gimel dalid comes from the word every gimel, which is three, and dalid, which is four, stands for, the, the, in Hebrew, every letter is also a word. And what's the word gimel dalim? Give to the, the one that's poor. So you see that dalid means the recipient, the poor, the one who doesn't have, and gimel is the one that's giving. For in, and that's why we find in the Jewish people that we have three fathers and four mothers. Because fathers are the givers, the transmitters, and the mothers, the woman, is the recipient. So you have gimel, dalit, four fathers, three fathers, and, and four mothers. Which, when was the Torah given to us? The Torah was given to us in the month of Sivan. What's the Sivan? The third month. It's gimel. Because the giving of the Torah on Matan Torah what kind of giving of the Torah did we get on Matan Torah? It was a Torah that was utterly related to God. God was giving. God was in giving mode. It was a gimel. That's why the Torah was given in the third month. However, what's the fourth month when it comes to the month of Tammuz? The month of Tammuz is all about us receiving the Torah. Gimel, in, in, even though technically we received the Torah, we said Nasa Ishma already on the month of in the month of Sivan. But in the month of Sivan, our receiving of the Torah is overshadowed by Matan Torah, by God giving the Torah. The power of the fourth month is that the power of the Mashpia goes away and we are left in our, to our own to implement the Torah into our lives. When, we, when God, when the Mashpia steps away, it's like a father or a mother, who is training their child how to walk. So the, ch- the parent holds the child, and you walk with the child. You know, you have the child holding onto your two fingers, and you're walking behind them. But slowly but surely, you wiggle your fingers away, and you let the child walk on their own. Now when the child begins to walk on their own, it's inevitable that the child will fall. And the child falls, and the child has a boo-boo, and they cry, and they scream. And sometimes the child begins to walk on their own. They run into the mud, and they run down the stairs, and then they fall down, and they bump their head, and they have a bloody nose, and who knows what. But your child must grow up, and your child must walk on their own. Nevertheless, as much as you want to protect and shield your child, you've got to let your child walk on their own. With all the challenges, and with all the heartache, and all the parent aches, and that, that continues. That's the, the, the terrible twos of the child and when they're two years old and three years old when you begin to let go of them. And ultimately when they become a teenager and you suffer all the growing pains of the parents of a teenager with the rebelliousness and all that, but your child needs to figure it out on their own. It will, it will involve extremely painful moments. But eventually when the child becomes a mensch and they learn their hard way of how to live life and then they, be, they eventually become a, 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 a productive human being in this world, learned through all the mistakes that they made, not being sheltered by their parent. That's the ultimate 
growth and development, and then the parent and then the child can go ahead and become a parent on their own. And that that's what we hope for our children. That's the Chiddush of Tammuz. Tammuz over Sivan. Sivan is the month where God is so present, so powerful. Tammuz, he steps away. Like happened on the 17th day of Thomas, God wasn't there. Moshe wasn't there. The Jewish people were left on their own, didn't know what to do. We fell down, we made mistakes, we ended up breaking the luchas. But then we did shuva, we learned, and we came back. And that is the entire story of Gullus. God leaves go of us and lets us walk on our own. And we struggle and we struggle, but there's already 2,000 years later. And we, the Jewish people, after making every possible mistake, are continued turning to God. We keep on coming back. And more and more Jews that have chosen every other pathway, path in life are returning to Torah and mitzvahs. We turn back, we connect. How? What is that? That's us growing up. That's the depth of the Jewish people. That's the depth of the relationship, which comes dafka from the absence of Hashem in our life, from the concealment where we have to discover our way back home on our own. That is Dalit over. That's, and so, so comes out that this whole idea that we spoke about Shavasa Thomas being externally harsh, difficult, and painful, but internally it's all about a growth experience, it's all about a deeper love of God, that he controls himself and remains silent, and remains kind of behind the scenes because, and it's so difficult for him, as a parent it's so difficult when you see your child wobbling, ready to fall, not to stretch out your hand and grab them, because you know they have to fall. God himself does that in a very in a big way, in a godly way to us, allowing us to make those mistakes and hurt ourselves and then get back up. That is the idea of Shavasa B'Tamuz, and that's why it comes out in the month of Tamuz. That's the idea of it being Tsoim Harivi. It's related to the fourth. It's related to us being the Makabal, us allowing, to, being able to receive it. This is also connected to the fact that we're implementing Hashem in the fourth world, also the same idea. We know Kabbalistically that there are four worlds. There's the world of Atzilus, which is the world of emanation. There's the world of Bria, the world of creation. There's the world of Yetzira, the world of formation. And finally, there is the world of Asiya, our physical world. Our physical world is number four. That's what it is. It's number four. There are the three worlds prior to our world are three. Those three worlds hinted to in the Pasuk, L'chvaydi for my honor, Barasev I have created him, Yatsartev I have formed him, L'chvaydi, yeah, Afasisev I've also made him. So L'chvaydi for my honor is referring to the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, which is still divine, which is L'chvaydi, God's glory. Barasev is the world of Bria. Finally, the world is Yetzira, Yatsartev, and then Afasisev, I've also created it. Now here you see an interesting thing. The first three worlds... They're three. They are all mashpian. They're all channelers. God's light flows in. But what's the ultimate receptacle? What's the ultimate keli? What's the ultimate bowl? Asiya, afasisif. In the fourth month, we enter into the world of Asiya. We enter into the most physical, earthy part of the world. And this world of Asiya, what a chazal, the word, the Pasuk says, afasisif. The word af means I also made it. The fact that it's also made it, that means that the fourth dimension is disconnected from the third. There is a certain disconnect, and that's what makes this world such a harsh place, because this world, God is not so present, so revealed. There is a separation. It's af asisim. It says that this world is hinted to in, in, the, the, in a hay, there are three three 
parts of a hay. A upper part, a lower part, and then there's a little space, and the third leg is broken off. That's the world of Asiya. That's Af Asisa. Now, the word Af also means anger. Anger. Af means wrath. Because our physical world, because it's disconnected, because it's Af Asisa, if it doesn't flow directly from God, God makes a separation the world becomes filled with enraging elements, with powerful entities in this world that are anti-holy. They're things that anger God. There is all the forces of immorality in this world. There's all the forces of terrorists and who kinds of dark snakes and scorpions in the material physical world. It's af asisiv. It's a world of darkness. There is af. There is anger. And the Gemara actually says, the Medrash says, there are three entities that began with the word af. The snake began with af. Af ki amar elokim, even though God said don't eat. Uh, Haman said, uh, af lo havia Esther. Esther didn't bring anybody else to the party but me, also with af. The third one I forgot already, but the, the, the one Medrash says four, and it mentions korach, korach. Af lo hevi sonu, you also didn't bring us, el eret zavas. means so af means anger, wrath. It's a negative thing. But af, it says in the Kuti Torah, from the, from the Balatanya, the af also comes to add. Whenever the Gemara says, whenever there is an af, af means to add. Lahosef, af means I'm coming to add something. So it says like, so what is it? Is, is af an addition or is it in a subtraction? And the answer is that when we enter into this lowest place of creation, into the physical darkest place of this world, which is the whole theme of Shavasabatamas. We're going away from the godly, we're entering into the lowest tier of existence to implement the Torah down here. We encounter all the af elements, all the elements of wrath. We ourselves sometimes fall into moods and situations where we anger God. And as a result of that, we experience all the, all the repercussions of that, which is all the suffering and pain that we've gone through for the last thousands of years. We're wallowing in the af, in the darkness of the af. But ultimately, what does that af do? It comes to include, it brings us to the world of Mashiach, which it says, Af represents what's even higher than the world of Atsilus. It represents the world of Keser. It says the Af, that's the, that's the, that's the root of all the darkness. Af comes Lahosif, it comes to add that which is higher than even the world of emanation, which is the infinite light of God, the Ein Sof. You can't reach the Ein Sof because Atsilus is, is a great world, but it's still a finite world. It still has limitations. It has boundaries. To get to the true infinite and, 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 and beliquous, what we spoke about last week, Monday, Dafka through the agony and the stress and the pains of this world, we reach the Af, the really, really great grandeur of God, the infinite light comes Dafka through the, through the struggle with the darkness. So that's interesting what the sages also say in Medrash Echa. They say the, Jew, the, the Jewish people were beaten with af and their, their nechama and, their, and they were comforted with af. Um, Hashem says to the Jewish people, the Medrash says, Hashem says to the Jewish people, I'm going to go with you with anger or with, um, uh, uh, with carry meaning over here that I'm also going to treat you with with, with, with um, Take away my, my hashgacha, my divine providence. But we are comforted with af. And also this, when you're in the, in your, in the land of your enemies. 
So we see that the af, which is bad, ultimately we're comforted from that af. So that's the idea of the month of Tamas. It's the month that we enter into the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension with all of its challenges and all of its difficulties. But Dafka, through this disconnect, we come up higher and deeper. And that's really the meaning also of the 17th day. It's also hinted to in the idea that it's the 17th day of Thomas. And this is all a thought of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's so brilliant. He says, 17 is Gematria Toiv. Toiv. 17 is, is Toiv. Toiv. Tezvav, tov means good. Tov tamos, it's the good of tamos. Because it's really goodness. The whole, whatever happened on the 17th of tamos is only good. There is a much greater good. It's just that it's hidden. So that's also the, why it's only in the gematria. Because the gematria of, when we say 17 is, is gematria, it's gematria. It's not, 17 itself doesn't tell you good. It only knows when you, the gematria of it is the number of it, of the word toiv, is 17. The gematria of something is hidden. It's the panemius of something. It's not, it's not revealed on the open. Externally, it's harsh. It's difficult. It's excruciatingly painful. Internally, it's the ultimate goodness. It's the ultimate blessing. It's hidden blessings. It's blessings in disguise. It's the deepest, highest blessings camouflaged in hardship, camouflaged in difficulty. Who do we know is related to the number 17? Also the fourth leader of the Jewish people, Yosef HaTzadik. Because by Yosef it says, right when the Torah begins telling the story of Yosef, it says by Yosef that he was 17 years old when the whole story unfolded that Yosef was sold as a slave. If we are to trace, why is Yosef the fourth? The Zohar says that Yosef is the fourth one. Why? Because you have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. These are the first three. Yosef is the fourth dimension. Kabbalah, Kabbalistically, it's also that way. Avram is Chesed, Gevurit. And Avram is Chesed, Yitzhak is Gevurit, Yaakov is Teferis. That's three. And Yosef represents the fourth dimension, which is Yesod. For whatever reason, Netzach and Hod, we're not going to count now. For what, I'm not going to get into it. There's no time in such a limited sheer. But you got the fourth dimension is Yosef. Why? Because let's take a look what happens in Yosef's life. And Yosef, what's the age the Torah speaks about him? Is that he's 17. What's the whole idea of Yosef? Yosef, if we trace the exile back to its very beginning, who's the first Jew to go to exile is Yosef. But what's the idea of that, of that, of that exile? It looks like, it's the same idea. It looks like something terrible. Whoever would have watched the horror of a child being kidnapped from his father and from his family and sold and being, and being, um, betrayed by his own brothers and they sell him as a slave and all that he goes through and he ends up in a prison and in a dungeon and he's accused of the worst things innocently he's such a tzaddik and it means the worst things a person can imagine but really, really, really what was the real story? you read the whole story you see that God really was making him Yosef himself says it that what looks to you as bad is really good because Hashem was making me a king over Egypt and now let's take that further Yosef takes the Jewish people into exile into the Egyptian exile terrible Brutal suffering. But what really does it lead to? It will read, if not for the Jewish people having the purification in Egypt, we would have never gotten to the giving of the Torah. And that's why it says about Yosef, he is 17. Because that's that, he's tov, it's really good. And it's hinted to in his name. Yosef means Yosef to add. Because what's the whole concept is, you want to add, 
things are good. Yosef is living by his father. The Jewish people are living with Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov in the land of Israel. But when they want to add more goodness, how do you add more goodness? You go away from your spiritual connection. And you end up in the pits. You end up in Egypt. You end up in Bavel. You end up in Edom. You end up in a 2,000 years unrelenting exile like we have now with such darkness and hardship and such difficulties, which is so hard and so difficult. But what's the kavana? Because God wants us to be able to discover the holiness of our own souls and ultimately to transform the darkness of this world into light, as we said before, to make the af of unholiness into the af of kedusha of holiness. That, that's the meaning of the word Yosef. Yosef means to addition. Yosef Hashem li bein acher, that Hashem wants us to, which Rachel said, Hashem should give me another son, which we once explained to mean that acher, someone who's acher, acher means another, Acher over here means the sitra achra, the other side. As a result of Jews going down to Mitzrayim, we expand Eretz Yisrael. We, like we see that the reason we go to Galus is if, when Mashiach will come, the whole world is going to be in the holiness of Eretz Yisrael. Because we're going to make from something that's not godly, godly. It's difficult and it's hard and it's challenging. But that's the idea. Shiva Asa is this ultimate goodness. Now when it comes out during the week, we don't experience, we don't see that. When it comes out on Shabbos, the panemius of it is revealed. And that's the reason why Rebbe says, once it's pushed away, it's pushed away. Because the pushing away of a fast on Shabbos is really, the co- true content of it is, is this, that when Mashiach comes, these days will be holidays. Why are they holidays, we said before? Because the panemius is revealed. It's really a day of the deepest love. So that is going to be revealed. And that, to some degree, is revealed already this year. And the lesson of all of this is when it comes this year, Shavasabatamas, we have all the power and all the ability to blow the cover off the day and to reveal the true beauty of its inner essence. That we don't have to have any more of the gullus shell. We can see its internal gaula. When this Shabbos comes and we yearn for Mashiach, we believe in Mashiach, and we long for that light to come, we have the power to blow away the fast completely this year. We shouldn't have to have any more the external shell of it. And all we should see is only its light. And I said I'm going to connect it to Parshas Bullock. The theme of Parshas Bullock that we read this Shabbos is the prophecies of Mashiach. In the most powerful way, there's prophecies of Mashiach and Parshas Bullock more than anywhere else. And also Shabbos by Mincha, we start reading Parshas Pinchas, which the sages tell us that Pinchas is Eliyahu. And Eliyahu is the one who, who, who brings us into the world of Mashiach. May we merit that all negativity uh, that is associated with, 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 with the fast days, with all that, with the Benam Tzarim, should be removed, and we should just see the, the internal element of it. And the thing that we can do to hasten it is that we should, on this Shabbos, start learning, and we should continue throughout the three weeks to learn about the Beis Amigdash as much as we can, to learn about Mashiach, and to increase, instead of focusing on the destruction, we should focus on the rebuilding. And by doing that, we will, we will bring forth the positivity and eliminate the negativity forever and ever.